You know, it just occurred to me uh, when we were reading the gospel that there is a pious gesture that is used by many in the Episcopal Church when the gospel is read, and it goes like this. And when I first became an Episcopalian, I thought, do the clergy and uh, other people have some sort of a nervous tick where they always do that when the gospel is read? And maybe some of you who have visited or don't know think that's a peculiar thing. So I thought it just popped into my head to tell you. It means, may the gospel be on my mind, on my lips, and in my heart. So that's the, the ritual reason why you see people do these things. This morning I want to preach about what I always preach about on Christmas, and that is the affirmations that Christmas, the season of Christmas, brings to Christian people. Anglican Christians, Christians influenced by what we call English Christianity, uh, hold the incarnation in high regard. It is very important in our theological outlook to understand God becoming a human being and the implications for the cosmos and for every person as they seek to know God's will and purpose for them. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And then we read always on Christmas Day and on the first Sunday after Christmas, the Johannine Prologue, which is the fancy way of saying the introduction to the Gospel according to St. John. And it's here for a purpose, and we read it on Christmas Day for a reason. So I thought I'd say something about that. Remember that the Episcopal Church is a liturgical church, and what that means is, is that we have set patterns and forms of worship, and we have understood from the beginning that somehow, based on the life of the Savior and also uh, the, the pastoral experience of Christian people, have said that we need to have some understanding of the sanctification of time. And so we're going to do this by creating two cycles in our common worship throughout the year based on the life of Jesus, but focusing on two things, the birth of the Savior and the Easter events, the preaching and teaching and so forth, and preparatory seasons prior to those major things. So in history, keep this on ice. You may be able to amaze your friends. You never know. Two cycles, Lent, Easter, Pentecost. That was first. Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany is next. So we're actually celebrating the later cycle in the creation of the liturgical year when we come to the Christmas season. You know, all this stuff you see on A&E or the Learning Channel or whatever it is about was Jesus really born on December the 25th? And we da 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 da. No, the church has always known that, and they're not upset about it, you know. But people think, gee whiz. I sometimes think, you know, we have done, been dealt an enormous disservice from extreme skeptics and fundamentalists in this culture. They have both let us down mightily. The truth of the matter is that the early church, when it created all of this, knew all of that. And there are reasons that I will explain in a minute for why we celebrate Christmas when we do. There's two ways to think about that. I may not get to that because it'll get me off the subject, right? 
The fact of the matter is that we know Jesus wasn't born on December the 25th, and it doesn't matter. So here are the four affirmations that are important. On Christmas, we affirm the goodness of our humanity. We affirm one of the fundamental tenets of Christianity. God made the world, or the cosmos, and called it good. And so everything in the cosmos is good, and we are by extension good, and our relationship to one another should flow from that knowledge that each person is made in God's image. And so what we do on our spiritual pilgrimage when we respond to the invitation of the Savior to follow him on the way is to say, I intend now to fill out fully the image that I am made in and to touch and know about my basic goodness. And you know that's very important for all of us and it's particularly important when we're wounded or we don't know where we want to proceed, how we should think about where we're going to go in our lives and so on. We start from the default position of our basic goodness. In Genesis it said God made the creation and was satisfied and called it good. So on Christmas, because it's the materialistic feast, it's about the world, the cosmos, God becoming a human being, becoming one of us, it has something to do about the affirmation of our goodness and God's yes to humanity. The second affirmation is that you and I are able, by virtue of this basic goodness, to achieve the highest and best of our human potential. And I don't say this like a, a, an advocate of the human potential movement. I say this in terms of being able to understand in depth the true nature of our humanity. Because those who heard and saw Jesus heard and saw someone that they realized had achieved the highest of their human potential and expressed everything as a human being that they wanted to express and they learned from him that they could. It's one of the things we'll talk about when we speak about John's gospel that John is giving the community out of which that gospel came tools they could use from the teaching of the Savior. So you and I are able to achieve the highest of our human potential. And you know that is done not just by sort of closing our eyes tightly and trying to pray for some insight that all of a sudden God gives us a bolt of inspiration. It's by doing those human things that develop the internal self-regulation and discipline that you and I need to function and to pursue excellence. A virtuous person in the Greek world would be somebody who would be thought of as pursuing excellence, arete, which means virtue in Greek. And so by virtue of that, we say to ourselves, you know, some of the ordinary and commonplace activities that I do as a human being are going to assist me in the achievement of the highest of my potential. And they have deep spiritual, emotional, and mental significance. So we affirm on Christmas the importance of the ability to achieve the highest of our human potential. Now, armed with goodness, and the potential that we can grow into being made in God's image, what we already are, 
We're in a position now to say this allows us to be joyful. And the reason we're joyful is not because we have achieved some state of euphoria, but it's because we have come to realize that by virtue of the pursuit of the highest of our human potential, by virtue of the fact that we are good, made in God's image, unconditionally accepted, loved, and forgiven, we now know that as we live, those things that are um, ambiguous to us, those uncertainties in our life, those conundrums that we face, those things we simply don't understand, are going to come into surer and clearer focus. And it is the testimony of the great writers on the spiritual life and indeed the practical wisdom that you hear from human beings who've learned something about living that they, if they apply themselves and live some life of intention, are able now to get some clarity. And not only are they going to get clarity internally about who they are, they're going to make a difference in their relational life in the world. And so they become an instrument of clarity. Remember, the mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. And each one of us have a responsibility to practice that species of reconciliation and healing. And the final thing that you and I, the final affirmation that you and I uh, always hold to our hearts, I hope this Christmas and every Christmas, is that we are called to be peacemakers. And that it is possible for peace to be here to break out, all right? Peace is not just the absence of warfare, although God knows it would do us some good to have a little absence of warfare in this world, wouldn't it? But peacefulness has two parts. Peacefulness has, first of all, to do, if we're speaking of this highest of our human potential, the goodness, the joyfulness, the coming clear about who it is we God, what it is God wants us to do and who we are made in God's image is to say, you know, the peace of Christ can uh, change and alter my internal states. They can produce a species of serenity if I place myself before God and center myself in God. That I can bring uh, peace to my internal demons that are warring with each other. What does Paul say uh, more than once in, in the epistles uh, that he is at war with his members sometimes. He just doesn't know. And the peace of Christ is that which brings this species of serenity and healing. Last night we read a reading, a very short reading from the epistle uh, to uh, Titus. It's not read a lot. And it talks about being saved. You've heard a lot of Christian people talk about being saved. In fact, some people believe that the whole of Christianity should be taken up exclusively with making sure that you and I are saved, that that is the first obligation that we have uh, in our common life together, you know? Well, salvation means not being um, assured of post-mortem bliss. Salvation means, in some way, being assured 
that you know that God's healing, reconciling power is available to you and you can be an instrument of that saving power in the world. The same word in, he, in the Hebrew Bible and in the Greek New Testament that is used for to save is the same word that is used for to heal. So when we think about that, we think about the healing of the world and the peace of Christ has something to do with the healing of our internal states. If we feel equipped as the result of that and strengthened and empowered, now we become peacemakers. And most of the time you and I find ourselves in the role of peacemaker, not always in the great grand heroic things. Although I think Christian people should support every effort in the world to bring peace to the world and ally themselves with causes and organizations that seek to do that in a godly fashion. That that is absolutely necessary for the welfare of the world. And yet at the same time, we find in the commonplace activities of our life that we need to function as a peacemaker. So, for example, this evening at the annual knockdown and drag out known as the family Christmas dinner, maybe that's something that can happen. Maybe it's something that is important also in the workplace. I don't mean uh, a person who is always willing to cave about matters of principle. That's not peacemaking. That's caving. It means having the right kind of self-regard it means knowing where you begin and end and other people begin and end. It means knowing that all people are good and we believe that is the default position and that no matter how hard it is to discover that each person has the ability to, to find the highest of their human potentiality. And so by virtue of that, we intend to be peacemakers. So goodness, human potential, joy, and peacemaking are the four affirmations. Mother McNeil read to you from the Johannine Prologue, and we'll read it again on Sunday, the introduction to John's Gospel. And this is an introduction that has something to do, this is a fancy term, with God's illuminative processes at work in the lives of people and in communities of intention, which means always we hear in John's Gospel particularly about light illuminating the darkness, illuminating confusion. I use the term cosmos more than I do world because in Greek cosmos means bringing order out of chaos. It means orderliness. And cosmos also means in Greek ornament. So if on Christmas we're talking about each of us uh, being made in God's image, uh, unconditionally loved, accepted, and forgiven, we become an ornament for the cosmos and for God's plan, each one of you, and all organizations that seek to be faithful to those things. So cosmos is a good word. God's light illuminating the dark places in human interaction, and in our internal states so that we can see more clearly about our lives. But also in the Johannine prologue, we read about the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And Jesus is referred to in more than one place as the Word. 
the word that's used there, in some translations they don't even translate it into English, is logos. And logos means word, saying, speech, reason, plan, organizing principle, wisdom. So if you and I participate by extension made in God's image in the word, then we can express all of those things, right? We can understand that we are cooperators with God. The community out of which John's gospel came believed that in Jesus, in his words and in his works, they saw words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. And as I mentioned earlier, that meant that Jesus was not some tableau. They were watching, performing all of these signs and wonders and saying all of these marvelous things. Jesus was giving them tools they could use in their own life and in their own community life. And that the kingdom that was being proclaimed through that was not some other place that they would ultimately get to go in order to understand it, but that they could be instruments of bringing present now in history. And everywhere the church has behaved for 2,000 years at its best, it has sought to do that and in some small ways succeeded. So as we move through this Christmas, it's 12 days long, remember, it's not over today. Uh, when I was a kid, some of my family members thought it was over. They always said after all the presents were open, well, Christmas is over for another year. And my grandfather was very concerned about not putting the envelopes in the fireplace in case you burnt up any money that might have been left in there. So we realigned our priorities quickly after all the presents were open. That's not Christmas. Christmas is 12 days long, and it is an appreciation of all the highest and best as human beings that we know about. So for the next 12 days, not just the next 12 days, but in particular as you think about it, see uh, how you can touch your basic goodness. See how you can reflect it back to the world. See how you can pursue excellence in every area you'd like to. See if there's anything coming clearer for you than uh, it was before. And finally, see if you can be an instrument of God's peace. <laughs>